And then now the fourth question we're looking at here is what can I expect from God? What, what, what can I expect from him or what can I expect from God? Um, I, I said to you before, uh, expectations, in my opinion, are often the source of great joy and great sorrow. <laughs> Uh, expectations. We've all had them, haven't we? That, you know, we, we have an expectation of how a vacation is going to go. And if it goes well, uh, it's a matter of great joy. If it goes poorly, uh, it, uh, it has a tendency uh, to uh, make things bad. I'm getting ready to start a new semester uh, with students coming in, and I'm making all my syllabi. On the first day of class, I'll often ask, so what do you expect from this class? Now, after we get past all the, I want to A, uh, you know, which I said, have you met me? <laughs> Somebody said to me the other day that I gave them a grade. I said, no, I don't give my what? Record. Record them, right? So after we get past that, then I want to know, what do you expect from this class? Uh, it's, it's amazing to hear uh, 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 what they expect. Uh, and often I can say, well, I think we're going to meet that. I think we're going to make that expectation. Uh, or <clears throat> I may say, you're in the wrong class. <laughs> you know, <clears throat> you're in the wrong class. And so expectation, what can we expect from God? So I want to ask you to turn. We Remember, we, this was several weeks ago. We ended in Romans 8. <clears throat> we ended in Romans 8, and we've been working through that. So if you'll go to your table of contents in front of your Bible, that's where all the pages are listed. Go find that uh, chapter, or if you've got your iPad or your uh, phone. In my Bible, it's page 1070. <clears throat> and so I'm going to go to that page, and then go to chapter 8. Chapter 8. And we have been working through this great <clears throat> passage. So if you want to catch up, uh, there are other recordings uh, up to uh, uh, May the 13th. On May the 20th, we shifted and went into our Pentecost emphasis. And so <clears throat> uh, we, we're here in chapter 8. Um, let me just uh, <clears throat> sort of, again, reframe it for us. Um, chapter 8 <clears throat> is sort of <clears throat> one of the high watermarks of Romans <clears throat> and it really ends a, a large uh, a teaching section uh, that Paul's in, and it sort of begins, <clears throat> this is kind of a, a, a general way, it ends with no condemnation. There's therefore now no condemnation in Christ Jesus, you can see that. And it ends with no separation. Nothing can separate us <clears throat> from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That would be kind of a, <clears throat> a real general outline. No condemnation no separation. And in, in the ensuing <clears throat> material, uh, we've looked over uh, lots of things and um, discussed them <clears throat> to some extent, if you look at that. So I want to begin um, uh, in verse 28. <clears throat> we've dealt with some of this, but I, <clears throat> I think this is the place to pick it up. And I'm going to read all the way to 39. So here we go. <clears throat> and we know that God causes <clears throat> all things to work together for good to those who love God <clears throat> And are called according to his purpose. So again, here's what we're, we're talking. What can I expect God to be doing in my life? <clears throat> well, Paul makes this assertion. We, we can expect, you can expect God to be working for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, <clears throat> he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. 31. <clears throat> what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Now, you might, you don't have to, <clears throat> but <clears throat> I'd, maybe <clears throat> in your version, ESV is what I'm reading, or New American Standard. You might just want to note the recurrence or the repetition of the term who. <clears throat> We're going to come back to that, but I just want you to notice this. Uh, if God is for us, who is against us. Verse 32, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus, it is he who died Yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, and also intercedes for us. Verse 35, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. 
But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And all God's people said, no, you should say, yippee. (laughs) Yeah, no, no, no. Uh, Amen is too religious on that one. Yeah, when when you read that, yippee, right? That's, yeah, right? Wow, wow, wow. I mean, I mean, this is like, I'm just thinking when Paul is, and we have every reason to believe he's dictating this to his uh, secretary, or we call him an amanuensis, as he's dictating that, I can see he's on his tiptoes, right? Okay, write this down. Here we go. And no height, nor depth. So we'll look at this to say, what is it in this passage as we sort of end this section? First of all, I want to ask you to consider this right here is this. We can expect the specific content of God's work in your life. Expect the specific content of the work of God in your life. Now, I'm going to just breeze over this because we did deal with this some, and I've got some other stuff. I got Notice here in 20, it says, we know that God causes all things to work together. It doesn't say here that everything is for good. It doesn't say everything is good that happens in life. Paul is not stupid. He doesn't think everything that happens is good. He makes this statement when he says, this is the, the content of our life that God is able somehow, in his greatness, to cause it for our good. So the specific content we need to understand is what is God doing for our lives? What's he doing there? We know that God causes all things to work together for what? Good. To those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. And so the question here for me is what can I expect from God? That God is always working for my good. Okay? You need to have, we need to have that. That, that. What can I expect? God is not working for bad. He's not trying to hurt you. He's not trying to harm you. He's not trying to mess around with you. He's working everything in this masterful way, if you will, for our good. And I could ask people to stand up and they could stand up and testify to that right now. You know what? God, in this situation and that situation, it wasn't good. We didn't like it. It wasn't enjoyable. But as we trusted him, God worked it for our good. Now, I want to go a little further here. So God is working for our good uh, to those who love God. Now, I want to suggest something here. Look at verse 29. The word there, 29, the word for. Um, the word for, I've said to you before, typically, well, I would say almost always, it's a particle uh, uh, or a preposition or something. What is it, Louie? I forgot. <laughs> it's one of those. <clears throat> yeah. I, I, I always said it's grammar, and that's not the my that's not my mom's mom, but uh, it's grammar. <clears throat> that uh, for the word for operates to provide evidence when it says for, like this example I give you: Jesus loves me. This I know. How do you know that? For the Bible tells me so. So when you see the word for in any kind of written material, it typically typically is indicating there's about to be some evidence backed up here. So here's the evidence. I want to say this. What is the good that God is up to? If it's health, some of us are not experiencing good, are we? If it's wealth, if that's the good that God is up to, then some of us aren't experiencing that. that's the great question when it says that God is working all things together for our good. Well, Paul, what's, do we get to define what that is? Or do you? What's the good that he's working toward? What's the good? This to me is, again, what can we expect? See, I told you expectations can be the source of great joy or real sorrow. If If you have the idea that the good that God is up to is to make your life more comfortable always more wealthy always, to make it more enjoyable. You know, the things are going to be always great. Your 401k is going great, you know. You know, the kids don't charge you to mow your yard, you know, all that, whatever. You're going to be desperately disappointed. I want to suggest to you that Paul tells, what is it right here? Notice this. For those whom he foreknew, he predestined 
to become conformed to the image of His Son. Look at that there. Paul is defining what is the good that God is up to. To make you, to make me, more like Jesus. This is the good. I mean, there have been lots of people that have been followers of Jesus and been faithful and their wealth has been a problem or their health has been a problem or their life has been a problem. or they may be, Their kids might even have been a problem. I know that never happens to anybody, but, you know. Their kids could have been a problem. The, the, the question is, when we expect wealth or health or all these other kind of things, this is where I think the trouble comes in. Because Paul is defining, I think, here, de- declaring to us, hey, this is what the good is. Yes, question. What does the foreknew and the predestined refer to? I'm not going to answer that. <laughs> <laughs> this is my class. <clears throat> I'm getting to that. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, I was afraid somebody would want to know that. Yeah. Okay, I- I'm getting, I promise I'm going to get there. Uh, but I want to get there slowly. <laughs> Maybe if I could stall. No. no. Uh, but I just, want, I just want to locate this in our thinking. That, that Paul is the kind of writer and the kind of theologian, if you will, who is not letting, if you will, the good be defined by us. He's going to define it. That ultimately, whatever happens to us in life, as God is working for that, if it's making us more like Jesus, that is the ultimate wonderful good that we experience in life. And it may be through all kinds of different experiences and all kinds of matters. And so Paul is saying here, the good, what God's up to, what can you expect him to be up to in your life? The content, that's what I've said here, the, the, the content of God's work. You, you may be suffering with illness. You you may be having a setback at work. You, you, you may be having trouble in, in uh, your family. Those are all realities. We, we, don't, we don't avoid those. We, we, we still pray to God. We ask Him to help us, those kind of things. But what the content of what He's up to is in the process of all that to make us more like Jesus. Does that make sense to you? That, that's not what maybe we... You don't sell a lot of tapes on that. <laughs> You know, you don't sell a lot of CDs. People want to hear you're going to get wealthy, you're going to be healthy, you're not going to have any problems, your kids are going to all be born with straight teeth. You know, everything's going to be great, but it's not. And so we have to come to say, what can I expect is the content of what God is up to in my life? Because I, I will just tell you, I, I've counseled people and talked to people before that going through difficulty and trouble and they can't, why is God so mad at me? Well, what do you mean? Well, you know, my job and my health and like that. And it's kind of a normal question that we ask. Because again, we're not maybe clear on what can you expect from this God? What is the good that he's up to? One of these days, we'll thank him for that. That the good that he was up to, that he's working toward, is to make us more like Jesus to be more in conformed to the image of his son. Second thing, <clears throat> real quick, and I'm going to hurry, and then I'm coming back to this, I promise. Maybe. Uh, for those whom he foreknew, he predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. I already touched on this, but I'm just going to hit again to kind of get us back in the context. <clears throat> Not only is the good that God is up to to conform us to the image of his son, I believe that the good that God is up to is to make us a family. That he would be the firstborn among many sons and daughters. It's just in that culture. That idea to make us a family. To bring us together as a family. We don't all agree. We don't all look alike. We don't all have the same ideas and beliefs. But to make us a family of love together, that seems to be. I'd said this before we ended on the Holy Spirit series. I think one of the things that impressed the ancient world more than anything, wasn't just the truth of the gospel. It was that somehow the gospel brought slave and free, rich and poor, Jew and Gentile, you name it across the board, and they loved one another. Pliny the Younger writes back to the Roman emperor and says this, how they love one another and there isn't anything they won't do for each other. The great testimony of the first century was a church 
The great testimony of the first century was a group of people that could not stand each other getting along. You think, again, things today are tough. You ought to, again, I've said before, go read the rabbis what they thought about Gentiles. Go, go read what, what, what Romans thought about Jews. And if you, th- you put those people together, the problems we got today are in some ways small. But what do we have to understand? We're family. We're brothers. We're sisters. We're, we're, we're one of this, that the good that God is up to is trying to make a redemptive society that when they look at it, go, boy, you, you look different. You, you, you act different. You, you, you live differently. Uh, I told you uh, in our tradition, the church of God, I'm coming to that. I promise that question. <clears throat> I promise. Um, <clears throat> in the church of God that you're a part, you may not know that, you know, we, uh, <clears throat> I said, you know, it's like 300 different kind of church of gods in the world. Some of them handle snakes. We don't anymore, but no, no, no. <clears throat> We never did. <laughs> thoughts and opinions as teacher, not necessarily thoughts and opinions across these community churches, elders, or leadership being recorded. Um, but one of the things that this tradition, uh, the Church of God, saw and was important was to believe that we had this sign that said, we reach our hands in fellowship to every blood-washed one. To every blood-washed one. And I can remember that as a kid. Growing up and going to church services where there were black and white and Hispanic and rich and poor. And what had happened was we had just come to an understanding that Jesus loves all the little children. All the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. One of my heroes... uh, uh, a guy named Horace Germany. You, you may never hear about him, but I'm going to tell you. Uh, Horace uh, was a Church of God pastor in, uh, in, uh, in uh, Magnolia, uh, Mississippi. And uh, he was a white guy. And he decided that he was concerned about that there were many African-American young men that couldn't go to college. And so um, <clears throat> he decided that he would start a little school in Mississippi called Bay Ridge Christian College. And when he started it, he dusted up some people that didn't like that. Horace uh, was a wonderful man, hard, you know, hard worker and not real smart, but loved Jesus and wanted to educate people best he could. And my dad introduced me to him as a kid. And, and Horace uh, was in Mississippi and one day went to town to buy some supplies. And some of these guys that you've heard of before that, uh, you know, wear hoods and stuff, uh, found him. And they grabbed him. And they beat him to an inch of his life for educating and having the temerity to believe that God did love all the little children in the world. They beat him. They rolled him under his truck and they poured gasoline on the truck and set it on fire. He was unconscious. At one point in the deal, Horace says, he just believes the Lord woke him up. You know, he can do that. <laughs> you know. And he rolled out from under the truck and survived, and kept that school going, and finally it just got so crazy, he moved it to uh, Kendleton, Texas, and it's there to this day. Horace uh, decided that everybody had a chance. You see, he saw people as family. You're a blood-washed one. You're one that's come to Jesus Christ. That's part of our heritage. That, that's part of our background. We're, we're people that see people who have followed Jesus, not their bank account or their ethnicity or their socioeconomic status. Marty says this off from the pulpit. When you drive into this parking lot, no matter what you're driving, some of you are driving something pretty nice. <laughs> uh, you know, I wouldn't mind driving it. But uh, uh, we're, we're all equal at the foot of the cross. We're all equal. So, so this is the content of conforming us to the person of Jesus and, if you will, Developing a family. Second of all, here we go. Oh, I want to ask you to do this. Um, What if this week when you're having a meal and you think about the content of what you're going to eat or what you're not going to eat, you think of the content of God's work in your life. Just say, you know what? I'm looking at this meal or I'm going to have this or not that. And then say, I want to think of the content. What is the content that God is trying to or working to make me more like Jesus God is trying to help me get involved in a family 
that only sees the fact that we're under Jesus. Think about that this week. I mean, today, when you go to lunch, when you see, or you decide what you're going to order or what your wife orders for you, uh, Becky will do that. Uh, think of the content. Think of the content. Okay, number two, or B, expect to know the certainty of God's working on Now, this, this starts with that section there. For those whom he foreknew, he predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that they would be the firstborn among me, brethren. And these whom he predestined, he called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, um, I want to ask you to consider a couple things. Now, let's define a couple of terms here, first of all. Those whom he foreknew. I've always been puzzled a little bit about this. There are two ideas here, possibly. And I'll tell you what I think, you know. Uh, some read this as foreknowing meaning for choosing those whom he foreknew he then notice what it says those whom he foreknew he predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so God in eternity past foreknew some people said okay you're going to be a Christian and you're not that's a kind of a typical reformed tradition uh, that that because he foreknew you they they connect it with uh, the word uh, uh, yada in Hebrew, uh, which means love or to know. That's kind of a class. And that's probably what you've heard a lot of, that, that, that there are people who are conformed to the image of Christ and Christians because God chose them before the foundation of the world. You didn't have anything to do with it. Uh, they didn't. And if you hadn't been chosen, you're not chosen, and there's nothing to do about that either. That's kind of the classic. Now, here's my question. Who did God not, who did God not foreknow? Who, who did he not foreknow? Man, I didn't know about. Forgot about you. See? Now, let's, let's think here. Who did God not foreknow? Because the Reformed tradition says that means Bill and not Eric. That God foreknew Bill and predestined him. And God did not foreknow Eric and didn't predestine him. I want to say again, I, I got problems with this because I think God foreknew everybody. So that's the first thing I want to hit. Did he not know somebody? He foreknew. So, so, so the context here of suggesting, so it says this, and it just, you know, really one verse, he foreknew, he predestined to become conformed. Now, notice this. It says he foreknew and then he predestined to become something. This is going to get a little thick here. Look at the wording there. He predestined those he foreknew, which I think is everybody. What did he predestine them to? Yeah. Predestination here does not seem to be who, but what. In other words, God says, I knew you, and my plan is for you to become like Jesus. I want to say it again, that this predestining is not so much who, but what. Let me give you the word. The word predestined means to mark out and set limits. The word predestined means to mark out and set limits. What I'm suggesting here is this, that God has marked out and set the limit for us. You know what, you know what it is? To be conformed to the image of His Son. That's the good that God is up to. What he's predestined and marked out is what you're going to become. Does that make sense? I know, I know, it, I know it's going against a lot of what may be commonly thought about this. But let me look, just look here at Ephesians. Uh, go to the right in your Bible. Ephesians. Because this is another section that goes into this. And this comes back again to, to, the, to the certainty of God's work. Notice right here. Chapter 1, verse 3. Ephesians. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Just as He chose us, where? In Him. Okay. So, is that who or What? How did he choose us? In him. This is method, not men. 
He chose us in him. He's saying, okay, look, when God chose you, he chose you in Christ. That's the method or the means of salvation. Let me get my notes here with me because this gets a little thick. Um, th this idea here of, if you will, he's, he's uh, uh, chose, choosing us in him. Watch this. Before the foundation of the world, he chose us in him. The what? That, this is the purpose. What's, what's the purpose? That we would be holy and blameless before him in love. I don't read anything in this passage here that is speaking about who. I hear it about what. Let, let me give you an example of what I mean by that. The word predestined means to limit, to set out the limits. When the architects built this room, they predestined how you were going to get in and out of here. Didn't they? Did they set the limits? What are they? Doors. <laughs> right? So they set the limits on how you get in or get out. Did they decide who would get in and out? No. God predestined that anyone that's saved is where? In Christ. You don't get, you don't get saved any other way. You don't, you, don't, you don't become a child of God any other way. He said, this is the plan. This is it right here. If you want, if you want to be a follower of Jesus, you want to be a Christian, you have to be in Christ. So he, said, so he predestined us in Christ. Before the foundation of the world, to what? To be holy and blameless. So I, when I read these, I think Paul is trying to, if you will, bring some, if you will, some confidence or some certainty to people. But I don't think he's trying to say, hey, there's some of you that are in and some of you that are out. I'll say this. It would violate everything he said in Romans up to this point. Why? What did he say? Who, who is in Christ? Those who what? Have faith. Those who have faith. Is this making any sense to you? Is this, I'm just trying to bring you a little alternative explanation because there is an alternative explanation here. Now, this back up here again. Those whom he foreknew. Again, he knows everybody. There is a suggestion that what Paul is referring to here is that, that God, with all the wisdom, just knew who would respond. Like he said, okay. You know, I, I know who's going to respond. That, that's a possibility here. But can I tell you what I think is going on here? More than anything, not that. <laughs> Simon Gladwell. I had a thought of him. I'm not using him. Paul's not developing an argument for theologians here. Paul is delivering assurance to people in trials. Think about it. I want, to, I want to give you the content. The reason I had that picture with Simon Gladwell, he's written several books, and uh, he, he, he's kind of a disruptor. He's written a new book about David and Goliath and giants and underdogs. I don't know if you've read it. He's read Outliers, Blink. He's a really fa fascinating guy. But, but, he, but he's, written, he's written another book called uh, uh, David and Goliath and Un Misfits and Underdogs. He, he tells the story about David and Goliath. Uh, and this is context when he says this. I, it, it's fascinating. It's true. You know, I, when you read the, the, the story of David and Goliath, um, if you read it carefully, you realize that David appears to be concerned about the glory of God, but he's really concerned about what Saul said he'll give to whoever kills this giant. My daughter, all kinds of money, <laughs> and uh, be my son. So read that carefully. It's not just, you know, God's glory. You've got to dig a little deeper to say, well, there's a little bit more going on here. He's going to get rich. Don't forget free in Israel. Free in Israel. There you, yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, so, so Gladwell says, you know, some of this stuff of context. Well, think about what Paul is saying here. About God predestined. He called us. He, 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 he called us. He, he, he justified us. He, he made us. He glorifies us. Look here. What's the context of this discussion? Chapter 8, I told you, go back and look at 18 later to 25. What's, what's going on in 18 to 25 with these people? What kind of world and universe are they living in? Suffering. What does it say? The, the universe is what? Groaning. Right? So, so the universe is groaning under the weight of sin. In this wonderful chapter, Paul never avoids that. It, it's groaning under the weight of all this. Okay? 
Then look at verse, uh, verse 26. What's the context there? How's our prayer life? What does he say? Yeah, we don't, we, we don't know how to pray as we ought, do we? Right? So, so what, you know, the, the universe is groaning. We don't know how to pray. And then just for a second, we're going to come back. Look, look at verse 35. I mean, how does this sound to you? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation, distress. We're being put to death every day. We're like sheep being slaughtered. What's the context here? Difficulty. This is not a theological argument. This is an attempt to say to people, here is the certainty you can have that God is working in your behalf to bring you to glory. Now watch this, because in these verbs, notice what he says. Those whom he predestined, he called. All these are past tense. Those whom he called, he justified. Past tense. And those he justified, he glorified. Wait a minute. I didn't, I didn't think we were glorified yet. I, I thought that's something future. That we'll receive a new body. All of these are in past tense verbs for Paul to say, look, you can have some certainty that God is working in your behalf in the midst of this mess. I'm willing to argue with people. If, no, discuss <laughs> this matter. But I'm telling you, the context of it tells me this is not a theological argument. This is an attempt to bring assurance to people that God is working in their behalf and they can have the great confidence and understanding of that. Does that make sense to you? Again, it boils down to who did God not foreknow? And when it says, what did He predestine us to? Not who, but what? That if, that if we are followers of Jesus, here's what's going to happen. And then He justified us. And he glorifies us. One verse in that whole section there has to be understood in its context. So it's not just an argument. It's an assurance that Paul is trying to deal with. Uh, again, I'd look at, at Ephesians 1, 3 to 6. We looked at that, at that just real briefly. Uh, and then 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, these same ideas. That God is pre-limited. Now, what else is this to suggest? That, that the work of salvation is God's work. <laughs> I mean, we respond, but it's God's work. He calls. He justifies. He glorifies. It's His work. I, I, I think when I was growing up as a kid, I had more of an idea that it was a lot on me. You know, a lot. Now, I have to believe and trust, you know. The Bible's real clear about that. But it's His work in my life that I respond to. Now, the third thing, we're going to hurry. I'm going to finish today. How about that? <laughs> Expect clarity as to God's work in your life. Look here at verse 30, <clears throat> or um, verse 31. What shall we say to these things? Now, that's interesting, that demonstrative pronoun, these things. I'm wondering, what does these refer to? Does it mean just the previous three, two or three verses? These things, like God has called us, He's justified us, He's glorified us, we can have certainty, we can have confidence that God is working on our behalf? Or is it bigger? Is it the 8th chapter? I, I, I don't know, honestly. But I said this, this question comes up to say for Paul, that brings up to Paul, is to expect clarity as to God's work in our life. It begins at verse 31. I ask you to circle those because I... I just want you to look at this kind of the way it frames out. If God is for us, who's against us? I mean, the, the universe is struggling. We, we don't know how to pray. We're having difficulty. If this God is really for us, who can be against us? Can I tell you I, about the bus with this? Because here's, here's the overall thing that I, that I saw when I saw this. It's important to get some clarity here. That life is lived by understanding who, not what. There's a lot of what's in here. We're being persecuted. We're being, we're being slaughtered like sheep. We're being delivered up. There's tribulation. There's distress. There's hunger. There's all these. There's a lot of what's in here. That Paul never addresses. 
Because he knows it's the who that matters in life. I don't mean to dismiss the difficulties we have. I don't mean to say that cancer and, and problems and, and I'm, not, I'm not dismissing. I'm, saying, I'm not saying that that's not difficult. I'm simply saying it seems to Paul. He does, it doesn't register with him. He keeps saying who, who, who. So let's look at that for a second. The, the, the great clarity of this. Paul asked this great question. What shall we then say about this? You know, I thought about uh, a good question. A friend of mine often says that a good question is worth 10 answers. You think about that. When you're, you know, with good questions. Uh, when you ask your three-year-old, why did you put makeup on the cat? That's a good question. You're probably not going to get a good answer. <laughs> or when, when, when uh, your spouse says this to you, what were you thinking when you bought that boat? <laughs> right? That's a good question. It demands an answer. Right? This question demands an answer. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who will begin? Now let me, let me, in your notes, I didn't, I didn't put it there, but I want to say in verse 32 to 34, verse 32 to 34, it's the who with condemning. The who, not, not the group. The who... <laughs> With, some of y'all will get that. Some of y'all old rock and roll people. I thought about sitting here, Horton heard a who this morning. I thought about reading that book to you. Yeah. Horton heard a who. You see, this who in 32 to 34 is about condemnation. Paul is saying that if God is for us, who's against us? He who did not spare his own son but delivered him for us, will he not also freely give us all things? Is, is God cheap? Is he, can you expect him to hold out on you? I, this is what he says. He will freely give us all things. Now, I wish Paul had been a little more specific here. But, but what he seems to be suggesting is that, notice the contrast here. He didn't spare his own son. Okay. So you really think he's going to be stingy and not give us all things that we need? I don't think, I think you can expect that God, okay, now what is that? I'll, I'll say in another place, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3, that says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. He's given us every spiritual blessing we need. He's not holding out on us. He's not holding out. He, he says right here, what you can expect, if this God who is for us, who didn't spare his own son, delivered him up for us all, how will he not also give us everything we need? All things. Verse 33, who will bring a charge against God's elect? In other words, who can accuse us? You know, that's, that's the devil's work, right? His, his name, Diabolos, is the word that means the accuser or the against counselor. He's against us. And Paul's saying, who can bring a charge against us? God is the one who justifies. Who's the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, was raised at the right hand, and intercedes for us. So, so this idea of, if you will, if you're a person, I've sort of been this way, much of my, some of my Christian life, that I've always felt condemned. I never felt like I kind of measured up. Anybody there with me? That I never, never kind of measured up. You know, I could have been my church I went to, could have been my training. Uh, you know, my dad used to say to me, son, your ears are so big, you look like a taxi cab going down the street with both doors open. So that could be it. Could be it. But I never had a sense that, that I was out from under the charge or the condemnation or the sense of you're not quite measuring up, Cliff. The sad thing is I meet people like that. They live with that sense. And Paul is saying here, what can you expect from God? There's a who that will not condemn you. There's a who. There's a who. Yes. I have to remind myself that God has already won the battle. Hmm. Yeah. So sometimes I feel like Satan has a chance to win something, but he doesn't. Yeah. He's just a lie. Yep. He, he's the accuser. He's a liar. You know, in my life, yeah, thank you. 
in my life, this idea of a who. Uh, I told you everything in my life is in my phone. If I ever lose it, I'll, you know, I won't, I won't know what to do. Uh, serious, it's just like, uh, but um, I have this song that I sing in the morning. Uh, don't let many people hear it. Uh, but uh, it's a, a great old uh, Methodist uh, song when it says, Arise, my soul, arise. Shake off thy guilty fears. The bleeding sacrifice in thy behalf appears. Before the throne, my surety stands. My name is written on his hands. Now notice here, the surety, verse 34. Who's your surety? It's Jesus interceding. So again, arise my soul, arise. Shake off thy guilty fears. The bleeding sacrifice in thy behalf appears. Before the throne my surety stands. My name is written on his hands. Five bleeding wounds he bears he received on Calvary. They pour effectual prayer. They strongly plead for me. Forgive, oh forgive, forgive, they cry. Forgive, oh forgive, forgive, they cry. Nor let that ransom sinner die. Tal and others that grew up in the Methodist church know this. I wish we could sing it. His dad was here the other day. He and his dad and I, we sang it together. You want to hear it? No. <laughs> Listen, Paul is saying this. There's a who. There's a who. Let me tell you what I do also in the morning. You know, I have to do this, you know, uh, certainly. Uh, but I have this that I read every morning that uh, I begin to say the who. I say that Jesus is the forgiveness of my sins. Jesus said, whoever comes to me, I will never cast them out. Uh, you, I, I wrote this, uh, th this idea. The primitive nature of God is that he is self-giving love. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His kindness are new every morning. I want to go back to the who, not the what of me. What did you do yesterday, Cliff? I'm not going to deal with that. I want to deal with the who is with me. So it's this idea of there's a who, if you will. Now look here at verse 35. i got to hurry. Verse 35. Oh, let me back up. Verse 34. I'm sorry. Verse 34. Who is at the right? Or who is condemn us? Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of God, who intercedes for us. Intercedes for you. You might want to write down in your Bible or a note there on Hebrews 7.25. Hebrews 7.25, the great statement that says that Jesus lives to make intercession for us. He lives. Go read it in the, in the in ESV or the New American Standard. It says that we have this high priest who lives to make intercession for us. The wonderful thing I love about that is that verb is a durative. It's continual. He doesn't just intercede for you every once in a while. He intercedes for us all that he ever lives. Do you ever, do you ever anybody that says they just live to play golf? I, I have. I feel sorry for them, but you know. What does it mean? That they live to play golf. That's all they can think about. It's all they want to do. Jesus, it says here, he lives to make intercession. He's interceding for us. So any charge that comes against us, He's interceding. I got to hear verse 35. So this is the who with respect to being condemned. This last section here in 35 to 39 is the who, if you will, as it relates to life's terrible difficulties. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril? For it is written, for your sake, we're being put to death all day long. We are considered sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. See, we're back to the who. Who? If I was Paul writing this in 35, I'd say, what can separate us from the love of God? Contribulation? That's a what, isn't it? Distress? Isn't that a what? Isn't persecution a what? Isn't nakedness and peril and sword, isn't that a what? Paul doesn't ever address it. He says the issue in life 
is who. Who is for you? He said it back up in 31. Who's for you, Cliff? You may be in peril. You may be in sickness. You may be anything. It isn't the issue. It's who is for you. That the love of God in Christ overwhelmingly... Now, I don't, I don't mean to be flippant about this. Our problems are real. Our pro, but I said this years ago, and I, and I, I, I fear to say it because my brother and I were talking that day. You know, sometimes when you teach, then God makes you live what you said. It's It's terrible. It is. I just go, oh, man, don't say that, Cliff, because some, you know, the Lord. Anyway, I, I honestly believe this, that you and I, and some of y'all can say you've done it, can go through anything as long as we know the who is there. As long as we know the who is there. As long as I know that in my trouble and my sickness and my illness and my difficulty, there is a faithful God who is for me. So it says, 31, if God is for us, who can be against us? Paul's cosmology or his view of the universe is different. He doesn't say God's going to fix all these problems. He didn't say God's going to make everything right and fix everything. He says he'll be with you in all these things. We overwhelming. He, by the way, he makes up a word here that isn't anywhere in Greek. When it says we overwhelmingly conquer, it's hyper conquer. Hyper conquer through him who loved us. Is it good news to you that your life and your security and your relationship with God is based on His love for you and not your love for Him? We don't conquer, he says here, because of our love for Him. He says this, we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. It's not because of you loving Him. It's not because of me. We don't conquer because of our love to Him. It's not on us. It's on Him. Does that give you any comfort? Can you say, I can expect to have that comfort, that, that sense that I can overwhelm the comfort because somebody loves me more than I love Him. Notice how Paul winds this out. I, I wish I could get the sense of it more clearly. I'm convinced these dyads, life or death, that can't separate you from who? Angels, principalities, that can't separate you from who? Things present, which you're going through right now, or the things to come, the things you may be afraid of, the fears you have for in the future, that can't. Or powers, that can't. No height, no depth, any created thing in all of this creation can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. I, I, I think Paul has said to us and said to me in the most powerful way he can, Cliff, quit looking at the what's and look at the who. Quit evaluating life by the what's. They're going to be there. There's going to be life. There's going to be death. There's going to be sorrow. There's going to be difficulty. There's going to be persecution. There's going to be all kinds of things. Quit looking at the what. I'll end with a story. When John Wesley, who's kind of our theological forefather in our church, Wesley lived a long time, much much longer than most people in England at that time. And when he was dying, he had a lot of people caring for him, and he was laying on the bed, and you know they would try to help him and give him whatever they could. And... So they're, they're interested because of the stature of this guy and the life that he lived. They called him Father Wesley. It's out of respect. I mean, you know, out of respect to him. And they, they would say to him, Father, Father, Father Wesley, are you hearing anything? Father Wesley, are you, are you, are you seeing anything? 
You know, when my dad was dying, I asked him the same thing. Are you, sometimes people say, you know, they, they see things, they, they hear stuff. And, and Wesley would get roused when he talked about, in fact, so they just finally said, Father Wesley, can you, can you tell us anything? And these are reported to be Wesley's last words. And then he died. He said this, the best is that God is with us. And he died. The best is that God is with us. I don't know what you're going through, you or your family. I'm not trying to dismiss it. But one of the things that I think we can expect, one of the things we can expect from God is even if the circumstances don't change, that life is not about what, it's about who. It's about who is for you. If we can go into this life, I think, with some measure, some degree of confidence, some degree of confidence. So here's what I want to ask you to do this week. What if today or right now you begin to get some clarity as to the who in your life and not the what? You may have a lot of what's. A lot of, all of us do. But can you be clear on who? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, I ask that you would take what we discussed today that is faithful and true from your word to place it in our hearts and our lives and our souls so that we might be the kind of people that know exactly what to expect from you. To help others to know this, to help others to live in such a way that they can have confidence and clarity about their lives. We need this in this day and time. And we trust you to do this. And we pray this in the strong and mighty name of Jesus. Amen.